Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth goal for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with good measure. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the latest By The Minute Aberdeen podcast. I'm afraid we're short-handed again, just myself and Martin, so because we're exceptionally lazy, we asked you to do the work for us this week. So the second half of proceedings tonight will be the return of the listeners' questions segment. Debuted to, well, abject indifference last season, uh, but you can guarantee we'll be covering a huge range of topics, some of them fairly divisive amongst the support right now, I guess. Um, but before that, we'll talk about Saturday's game. A really encouraging 4-0 win over a Samaritan side that you had to remind yourself will be sharing the Premiership with us this season. Now, a host of fine individual displays. The one that probably caught the eye most was Scott Wright playing the central attacking midfield role, number 10 role. When he's played before, he's always been used as an out-and-out winger, but it was really hugely effective carrying the ball and running at the Saints' back line. And Martin, I'd say if there's a spot up for grabs right now in the starting eleven. It is that role, that number 10 role. Do you think he can grab that place and make it his own? He's got every opportunity, yeah. I mean, watching the game back on Saturday, he did really well. And the performance we've kind of been looking for for a while from him. I know he had, he's had some decent games before. You know, you got the, obviously, with the game out, it's part of Craig, got a few goals and things like that. But this was one, I thought, where he, he really kind of, he dominated. He was kind of at the centre of pretty much everything. Uh, didn't really see it coming that he was going to get a start. But then the squad's there to be used, you know, and we've... We've kind of called for him and said, you know, the thing about, which I'm sure we're going to come to later when we're talking about it, is the, the whole thing about, you know, young play, getting young players in, um, using the squad squad that's available to us. Um, St Mirren, yeah, like you say, uh, wow. I mean, they were they were pretty, pretty bad. Um, but, you know, guys like Scott Wright in particular, there's a chance there that, you know, you can't always play the same 11, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, so you're going to have to have a squad of guys that can fit in. You'll see as well, Richard. I mean, another guy we can talk about is is Frank Ross. Obviously, wasn't meant to be starting. Now again, gets injured. Late call up into the squad, and he was another one who shone. Yeah, moved the ball very quickly. That was the real feature of Saturday's performance: the speed of movement on the ball. And it was, um, I mean, we spoke post the uh, the Rangers game that we were so slow in moving the ball. Well, it was night and day, and obviously that's partly because. We were allowed to, but some of the interplay was really, really pleasing to watch. And for that first goal in particular, you know, Stevie May, Frank Ross, Lewis Ferguson did brilliant work before the ball even arrived at Guy Mackay Stephen. And it was, uh, it, it was really what you want to see in a football team, that, that quick inventiveness. And, and to see it being done with young academy players for the four was really, really satisfying. I suppose the other question mark before we kicked off was whether um, Bruce Anderson... Uh, would actually get a start this week. I'd argue, Martin, that 
and Derek McInnes was absolutely right to introduce him from the bench. That there's, you know, this is a long game we're talking about here with Bruce. He can come on, he can give us 20 minutes here, 20 minutes there. There's no point throwing necessarily throwing him in from the start. Probably not. I mean, I'd like to think uh, that the manager had looked at it and thought that, you know, it was fairly confident that we would be able to get a result against St Mirren. You know, Stevie May was desperately needing a goal, um, finally got one. Um, and I think he maybe thought that, you know, probably Stevie May needs this more than Bruce Anderson needs it at the moment. No, we'd like to think that that's the confidence back in him, is it? I mean, he's always been, I think, his, his movement has still always been good when, I, when I've watched him. I thought he played really well at Dundee without ever looking like scoring. Stevie May, as a striker, is going to allow you absolutely to play that quick football behind the front line much more than, say, Sam Cosgrove will, or probably at, at this point in time, Bruce Anderson will, because he is willing to come back, he is willing to, to get involved in the setup play much more. But of course... Here, Derek McInnes has largely been playing one out of front, and that's not really how he was most successful at St Johnston in this league. It was playing as part of a two or operating in tandem. So at Dundee, he, he sort of played that number 10 role, and as I say, I, I think he did very well just splitting into the channels, finding that a bit of space, really good movement from him. There's still definitely a footballer there, but right now, would you give him that striker's spot on merit? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But as I said before, it's really important for Stevie May to come good for Aberdeen because of the money we've put down and because of the length of contract we've got him on. It is really important and it will be huge for us if he starts to, to rediscover that form. But there's definitely been reminders over the last two weeks, that the last two weeks in particular, that he's still a football player, that he's still got something to offer. And somebody else that's maybe surprised us with the start to the season is Gary Mackay-Steven. Not that there weren't flashes of it last season from him. He did very well in, in certain games in particular. But perhaps for the very first time in his whole career, Martin, he's managed five good games in a row. Um, what can you add, really, other than, you know, let's get him signed up? I think if we're going to have a really successful season, among others, Gary Mackay-Steven is one of those guys who we need really regular big performances and, like you say, a run of good games. You're looking at him to be a kind of an 8 out of 10 or more player every game because he's got the ability there. Even in the, you know, the Burnley games, against a, a higher level of opposition than, than than he played against on Saturday. I thought he was excellent. He's one of those guys where you pay to watch, you know, kinda of that old kind of cliche that he's one of those guys you come in and you want to see him do things. He can do these tricks, he can win the ball, he can get past people. Um, and he's a guy that, you know, I'm a huge fan of him and Well, uh, he's also a very accomplished penalty penalty kick taker it would seem. Um three from three from the spot so far this season. Now St Mirren, as I say, were pretty poor. I was actually, after the game, was looking at a side to see if they, you know, it had been a much-changed side from them, but no, it was pretty much the same team that they put out the week before. There appears to be a growing gap between what could very well be a very competitive top five or so teams in the division this year and the rest of the league. But from our point of view, we've been incredibly consistent against those teams in the lower half of the league over the past few years, and it's really been key to our success. To get the dis- disclaimer out there that I, I, we've said it before and I want to rewind it, I don't think we are we are good enough a team just to kind of say, oh, we'll beat this lot no bother. You know, um, there is still challenges to be there from pretty much every team in the league, and St Mirren will have better days than they had on Saturday. But out with you know the Rangers, Celtic, us, Hearts, and Hibs, there is a gap there. Um, I don't think Kilmarnock will be anywhere near the the challenge they were last season. Our our record against the, the so the so called rest. Um, has been excellent. It's the the games against Celtic, the games against Rangers that we've really slipped up on, isn't it? 
it's really important that we that we take our share of points in those games um, as much to stop the other sides gaining points on us. And the first opportunity to do that obviously will come. Uh, well, of course, we have already played the Rangers, but the the opportunity again comes this Saturday to strike a, a pretty decent blow. I would have said against Hibs, but we'll speak about that maybe a bit more in a few minutes' time. One of the People we didn't see on Saturday, I think people were expecting to, but uh, he did pick up a knock in his last reserve game for Man United before moving up, was uh, James Wilson. Um, now, until until we actually see him in red, the debate will remain, Martin. Is this a really high-quality import, or or just a, a guy from down south with attitude issues who's going to slowly slide down the leagues like we've seen with a lot of players before? He's an upgrade on Alex Notman. Um, older listeners may remember him. He has played games for Man United. He started games, big games as well. I'm pretty sure he started against against Chelsea, maybe Liverpool. Um, so there was clearly, you know, there was ability there that he was he was seen as being a whether it's a prospect or you know one for the future. You know, you don't start that many games for Man United if you've not got something about you. I would assume. You no, know, he's obviously going to be here. I think unless he gets injured um, and can't play for a, for a long time, he's going to be here for the season. Because let's be honest, he could bang in thirty goals before Christmas, and they're not calling him back. From the loan, no, I mean, as much as I would love Stevie May and Sam Cosgrove to kind of start banging in the goals, you know, unfortunately, this seems to be the kind of market we're in. And McInnes, McInnes has got a lot of hopes from Richard. I mean, he talks about oh, the potential it could be his best ever Aberdeen signing. That's, I mean, that's high praise, isn't it? Yeah, he's been really effusive, uh, effusive about him, and of course, part of that is going to be to try and build up. Uh, James's uh, confidence anyway you know you hear your manager come out in the press and say that it's going to make you feel good and that's got to be part of it I think there's got to be a real question marks about whether he starts on Saturday not least because of the quality of the performance uh, against St Mirren if you're bringing in the guy that's going to be towards the top end of our wage budget these are the games he needs to contribute in again there's, there's no point in just banging in the third or fourth goal against the mirror we want him to be there to, to make the difference in games like at Easter Road or, or like against uh, the old firm the other bit of transfer news that uh, was uh, cleared up this week was the Lewis Ferguson Tribunal now we don't know an exact figure um, the word appears to be that um, it's just north of 200,000 uh, a number it definitely isn't is 375,000. Those of you on Twitter will, will understand why that is the case. Um, <laughs> Aberdeen have pronounced themselves satisfied uh, with the outcome. Well, Hamilton plainly aren't. Altogether, it's, it's a pretty messy way to conduct business, isn't it, Martin? Hamilton clearly wanted a lot of money for this guy, uh, which um, I'm sure we're going to contradict ourselves in about five minutes when we start talking about Scott McKenna. Um, but I'm willing to do that. I mean, I understand, you know, football clubs, you know, you know, clubs like Hamilton rely on this type of money. Um, Aberdeen have been burnt before, where we've been caught out with young players wanting to leave and we've kind of got, you know, pretty paltry money for them. Uh, surely there's a more common sense way of this than so, uh, kind of playing out publicly and this, you know, without, say, without really saying anything, Hamilton's statement was, you know, pretty much the toys out of the pram, which is, I, I enjoy a Rangers meltdown statement. I've seen it from clubs like Hamilton. Um, doesn't I don't really enjoy it as much. Um. The clear distinction, obviously, with McKenna, who we will talk about at length in a few minutes' time, is that Scott McKenna's tied down for another five years, and yeah. Lewis Ferguson was obviously out of contract. Now, clearly, I do have sympathy for Hamilton. We did have similar as you point out, Martin, with Fraser Fivey, Ryan Fraser, Jack Grimmer. Okay, the last two of those weren't actually out of contract, but they had indicated they wouldn't stay. 
However, in all of those situations, I was probably more annoyed at the state of my club for letting their contracts run down or letting the club be in such a state that the young players didn't want to stay with us um, than I was with the buying club. But yeah, overall, I'm not sure these tribunals do really strike the right balance. And the sum we've been told to pay looks more like a training compensation fee than an actual transfer fee. But as you rightly point out, Hamilton's transfer valuation was rising with every game Ferguson played for us, an approach that was rightly excluded from any valuation. And what that has done, obviously, it's given us some clarity on you know what funds we may or may not have available for the rest of the season. Um, but the transfer window still having a good uh, nine ten days to go, and again we'll come to that in a few minutes' time. But we did um, wisely or maybe unwisely ask um, you, good people of Twitter, if you had anything which you would like us to cover this week, and uh, you definitely responded. So the next part of the show will be our fumbling answers to those questions, and we'll start with one which relates to. Saturday's big game against Hibbs. Adam Richardson, straightforward one for you, Martin. Your preferred starting eleven for Saturday. For the most part, I would be tempted not to really change too much. Hibbs, I think, are, I've not really seen a lot of Hibbs. I mean, I've short of the highlights and things like that. I've not seen any of the European games so far. Um, you know, they've lost arguably their two best players from last season. Um, so I think they'll be a slightly different prospect. I mean, okay, they've, they've still got Camberry and they've got the guy McLaren back. But um, I think that they'll be they'll, they won't be as I think competitive as they were last season. They'll still be in the top five. One of the other questions, Richard, was someone asked if you know, if even if McGinn's fit, um, should Scott Wright start? Yeah, that came from Angus Knox. Now I don't see that Scott Wright is a replacement for now McGinn necessarily in in that team. I think as we said earlier, Scott Wright can make a, a real claim for that number 10 position. I think there will obviously be changes on uh, Saturday. I think Shea Logan's going to come back into a team, replacing Dominic Ball at right back. Tommy Hoban's due to be fit. This is a mixture, obviously, of uh, preferred and what I expect Derek McInnes to do. I think Tommy Hoban might start left back, and you might see Graham Shinney move back into midfield, because that midfield area was... Was absolutely key in games against Hibs last season, and notably the only one which we lost. Graham Shinney missed that one through suspension, and they just completely overran us in the middle of the park. And then I would I would expect now again to start ahead of um, Frank Gloss, even though Frank, as I said, did well last uh, last Saturday. And then yeah, it, it is that question of whether he goes a bit more defensive in midfield, or he continues to opt to give Scott Wright his head and. I think what we will see is Gleeson and uh, Shinny sitting a bit deeper and Lewis Ferguson will be asked to, to make up three in midfield with either, well it could be any any one of three, it could be either May, Wilson or Cosgrove up front. That I think is what McInnes will do. I think it will be a slightly naturally more cautious away from home against one of the bigger teams. Not necessarily what I'd do. I do. I really got really excited by a lot of what Scott Wright was able to do uh, last week and, and really think if he was able to run at that Hibs defence, which has never been the surest, um, then that could really cause some damage. Uh, the next big topic that was brought up by almost everybody has been rather torpedoed tonight because Brendan Rodgers has come out within the last 90 minutes and said that Celtic have effectively ended their interest in Scott McKenna this window. But we got a lot of questions in on McKenna, his valuation, whether we should sell to Celtic and what that price should be. One of these, for example, was um, David Fox, 
If so, would make a realistic bid. Should we sell or hold out for an English club next window? No, absolutely not. Um, that ties in with one of the other questions, which I think came from Lewis J, which was um, if we sold McKenna at Celtic, what would that say about us as a club and our ambitious on the pitch? Well, um, I don't, I don't want us selling anybody to a team that are our rivals. Um, Celtic may have won the league the last what seven in a row, all this kind of stuff. There's been, a, there has been a race. Some of those seasons we have pushed them, so I don't want to really see us selling any of our players, especially. Let's be honest, McKenna's pretty much the crown jewels at the moment. You don't, want, you don't want to be selling a guy like that to them. No, even if they make a realistic bid, he's go, he is going to leave. I think, you know, at some point, you know, we've got him for five years, so he's going to leave at some point. There's no getting away from that. I think we should hold out as long as we can because his, his, price, is, his price and his valuation is only going to go up. It wouldn't surprise me if they try and test a resolve with another bid next week. One of the other ones who came from um, a couple of different people, Mark Haskett and Ian Noble, as Richard, what is an acceptable price to sell McKenna in this window? And would that, should that change depending on who wants them? I think with regards to Celtic v the English market, hyperinflation down south has meant that even standard championship clubs are willing to comfortably outbid your Celtics and so on these days. And we should obviously look to try and take advantage of such an overheated market right in our doorstep. What's an acceptable price in this window? Well... I think the club publicly came out and said, you know, and gave a figure of 10 million, which makes it then difficult for them to to sell for less than that, however unrealistic you might think that figure is. For me, 6, 7 million plus a healthy selling clause, maybe, but it's really difficult to say, because you do, you forget he's only played 30-odd games for us. I agree that if we, if we were to sell to a domestic rival, that should absolutely be factored into the calculations of the club's selling price. Of course, the caveat to all this discussion, all this talk about you know what we can sell him for, is that the player himself holds so much sway these days. And we've just got to hope that Scott McKenna himself is happy to continue learning his trade here at Petaudry. And obviously, to date, he's given no ind- indication whatsoever of rocking the boat, which is great. Great from the perspective of his approach and also from clearly how the manager, the manager and the club is treating him. So it's, it's positive news on that front. Now, related to Scott McKenna, related to the Lewis Ferguson situation, Hendo on Twitter asks, uh, do you think some of our fans are hypocritical for saying Celtic are low-balling with offers for Scott McKenna than mocking Hamilton for wanting more for Lewis Ferguson? Celtic are low-balling Aberdeen for, for the, with their offer for Scott McKenna. I know if they, you know, the rumour was three million, then it changed to three and a half you know, over the course of the last 24 hours. But um, it's just what every club does, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, um, every club wants to buy cheap and sell high. It's just what oh, yeah. everybody wants so, to do. It's not, it's the oldest thing in the book, you know. It, it's before 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 football transfers were a thing, you know. People haggled. It's just how it is, and under, I understand that. Yeah, Mocking I mean, Hamilton, no. do you think that's fair? I mean, I, I don't think the Hamilton chairman particularly endeared himself to a lot of Don support for some of his interviews leading up to a tribunal. No, he and, did. I mean, we got in the game as well. We made we had some cheap digs about their. Um, Banking situation, but uh, which again, you do, you do stuff for the numbers. Um, but, uh, <laughs> again, it, it's just standard football stuff, isn't it? It's not. Yeah, it's. I mean, that's the whole thing that I kind of, I kind of feel. No, I do feel, I do feel bad for Ake's now in a way. But you know, I don't want us spending more money than we have to. So you know, they, they probably, they probably, no, technically, they probably do deserve a little bit more for Ferguson, but. That's what this, that's what it's came up down to. Um, 
I mean, the whole thing with the sit with Celtic as well is, you know, how often, how many times have, and this is one thing that really pissed me off today, reading some of the some of the journalism stuff like that. And I won't name who it was, but it's pretty obvious who it was. The guy that the Hibs fan that the guy that pretends to be a Hibs fan that writes for the Daily Record um, was kind of talking down the McKenna thing and saying about the, the valuation was our valuation of him is ridiculous. For 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 other clubs, when Celtic and Rangers have a player they want to sell, Richard. They get, they, the, the valuation is always talked up and our game gets talked up but then suddenly when another team finds this talented player he's really are, we're, we're asking for too much I think, that's, I think that's just stupid Well quite, I mean certain teams even invent bids for some of the strikers to uh, show how much they uh, hope they're worth Well there you go, I mean was, 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 was there ever really a 10 million bid for Alfredo Morelos? Of course there wasn't it was an invention of the media but you know that's that's the that's the kind of the the world we find ourselves in where anything we have isn't worth anything and everything they have no matter how shite it is is worth the, the sky's the limit. Moving on to more general questions about the team and about transfer dealings, moving away from just Scott McKenna, and I do think at this point it's probably worth saying the club have stuck they have stuck to the guns. So many. Facebook messages or Twitter messages, oh, they'll sell as soon as they get seven figures. They haven't done that. They clearly haven't done that. They turned down a bid from Swansea. They turned down Celtic. Turned down Hull a few times. They are, at least thus far, sticking to what they said they would do, which which is commendable. But I think we understand the, the talent that we've got in Scott McKenna. But more general questions about the team. Obviously, with Lewis Ferguson having made such a good start to to life up here, Colin Fackerson asks whether we need Christie back, or maybe we should even go for Scott Allen, also currently rotting in the Celtic Park stands. I'm going to say about Ryan Christie right now is that uh, the number 22 shirt is still not filled in the Aberdeen squad list. The, the thing, I think, the thing I see with that is that. Um, you know, and rightly Ferguson we've we, we praised Ferguson for, for performing well is if you bring back Christie or bring in Scott Allen you know, he's going to, they're going to be in a fair whack of money uh, and that's probably going to damage you know, the, the damage in our, de- in our development of what is now our player um, Christie you know, we were quite critical of him, a lot of people were quite critical of him in the last last few months he, here, it didn't really you know, didn't really show the Ryan Christie that we saw the season before. Scotland's different, different kind of, different kind of thing. I mean, he is another really good player, um, and I would fully suspect that both of those, though those guys would end up in probably in League One in England, maybe maybe a lower Championship team. I wouldn't really be against Scott Allen coming in, but I would be concerned that someone like that comes in. Would we be able to afford him permanently? So then you're kind of relying on bringing in. Loans from Celtic, and then they can't play against them, and I'm, I'm just a little bit against that. Uh, it's a kind of concern that you know. I'm sure, I think it's something that we moaned about enough last season, where we're missing big players against them. So I wouldn't really be a huge fan of that happening again this season. But Ryan Christie's only, I think, 23. He's got a year left in his contract. Surely the opportunity exists to pick him up for a reasonable sum. And there's absolutely no question that despite the fact he he absolutely didn't perform to the standards he'd set himself in the second half of last season, although, fair to point out, he was still racking up more assists than pretty much anybody else on the team at that point. He would still be an asset to Aberdeen if we were to get him permanently, surely, wouldn't he? It's clearly that he enjoyed his time up here. He enjoyed working with Derek McInnes. He would be someone who we could possibly then 
take the next step and, and sell down south and get the financial benefits ourselves. Does that not play into your thoughts? There's different options there. And if it's only a year left in his contract, then you can, no, there's nothing to say that we could, they shouldn't be testing the water with an offer. And like, quite rightly, like you mentioned earlier on, now that the club know exactly what we have to spend for the rest of the transfer window, because I think that was the worry. And a lot of people, a lot of the replies we had, especially on Twitter, were moaning about the lack of recruitment and things like that. Well, now the club know this is what we're going to have to pay for this guy. This is what we've got. If Derek McInnes thinks that he would he would add something to that starting eleven, then without question we should bring him in because you know that nobody knows better than I think than the manager. I know that sounds you know I probably would get a bit of criticism for that, but you know he's the manager for a reason, and I think that he's got the, he's the guy that does take the flak for putting those eleven players out there. And we have another one, Richard. Well, I'll hit you with there from Colin Farkerson as well, who said, with the young players doing so well on Saturday, will we see more of them this season? Uh, game time perhaps against the so-called lesser teams uh, You know this has been a constant complaint for the last few years and you know our, my answer has been that I, I, I hoped that he could be braver but obviously to date he hasn't been proved massively wrong on any of the youngsters that have been let go Lewis Shankland appears to have got this heat screwed on and, and might do so this season but obviously generally speaking that's at a lower level whether it be in League 1, the Championship or indeed against Dundee that's always going to be a pretty low level um, <laughs> yes I would I would absolutely like to see him but as much as I speak about Ryan Christie coming in who I, who I do think would be a good buy you don't want to stifle development. I think there have been some people who have been brought in as squad filler which, which are going to do just that. For example, I think last May, Derek McInnes was happy enough to throw on Gene Campbell for the last half hour at Parkhead in a critical game. I mean, he let absolutely nobody down. He's been under-21 captain despite the fact he was only 17. Clearly, clearly big, big things are, are, are thought of. Dean Campbell in his future. So you want to make sure that he gets the minutes he needs to develop properly. And uh, maybe someone like Don Ball, who's who's done okay at right back last few weeks, I have to say. But, you know, maybe did we need to bring him back if his main role was going to be to play in that City midfield role, when you could maybe start to utilise Dean Campbell a bit more? There has to be a pathway. There has to be evidence to our kids that if you perform well, you're gonna you're gonna get your opportunity. I mean, he spoke at the weekend about Frank Ross being his, his best player in training over the last ten days, and it took a, a kind of last minute withdrawal from now again to to give him his place in the side. And again, he he took that opportunity. It was very telling after Bruce Anderson scored against the Rangers. McInnes came out and said Bruce took his opportunity, which I expect all my young players to do. And maybe there has been a bit of that, particularly in the first couple of years. Cammy Smith got opportunity after opportunity. Nicky Lowe, there's quite a few others you could say, sort of did okay, but never really went out and grabbed that place in the first 11 for themselves in the way that, say, Scott McKenna has done. So, yeah, I think we'd all love to see more young players coming through the academy ranks because it's something that fans just love a homegrown talent that's why everyone's so hyped and excited about Scott McKenna that's why everyone wants to see Bruce Anderson get starts because they've come through the team they're relatable because of that and yeah I do hope that we start to see a little bit more flavour of some of the kids coming through because it was exciting on Saturday it genuinely was and caveats about the quality of the opposition aside it was, it was so good to see some of those displays I, I guess the related question from Will Forbes Martin is um, 
Do you think we'll see another breakout player like Scott McKenna this season? That kind of totally ties into your la- the last question there. I mean, the obvious um, uh, answers are the ones you've just given in that Campbell and Anderson. But it comes down to the fact that will they get minutes? It just it's it's basically I could just repeat p- pretty much what you just said there, Richard. Yeah, it's a combination, uh, isn't it? It's, it's about them getting the opportunity, but it is also about them really taking the opportunity. And and the, the the threshold to get an opportunity in this Aberdeen team now is much much higher than it used to be. I think we have to bear that in mind as well. Part of the frustration of not seeing youth get a chance is because, you know, we're playing in reasonably high pressure games most week and Derek McInnes wants guys he, he knows he can rely on. You've got to be like, be like Bruce be more Bruce. Yes, that's the thing, is that, yeah right, I mean, we're not going to where we find ourselves as, as the second the second best team in the country we need, to, every game is, it has to be won, so it, it does become difficult for these guys, so yeah, they need to take it uh, our next question also came from Wolf Orbs as well, Richard, which was, would you prefer we buy a new left-back or a midfielder so that Shinny can play there? No, I'd prefer the guy that's played left-back throughout the last four seasons and the side that's been second in the table to continue playing left-back. Oh, I'm happy with that, so all, and so see all of us. No, I, Graham, Shinny, Graham Shinny is going to play midfield on this Aberdeen team unless there are injuries or circumstances dictate otherwise. Derek McInnes likes Graham Shinney in that midfield way too much to play him anywhere else in that 11 through choice. Yeah, and we I don't really have another player like that, that sort of tigerish go-and-win-the-ball sort of player to play in midfield either. And I think that, again, it's a, it's a vital component of how Derek McInnes likes his side to play. But but uh, I've spoken before about and I'm just I'm sick and tired of the, the constant knocking that Andy Constantine <laughs> gets on here. It, not on here, but um, on social media in particular. It's, it, it just seems he is the guy now. He is the... And Christy uh, commented on it very well when he was on the show last week. Um, so I just I reiterate what uh, Christy Keenan said. Yeah. I think the best thing we could probably do is that if, if as a group of as Aberdeen fans, if we could just forget that Graham Shinney was ever a left back, uh, things would probably be so much better. Such a clamour always to bring a left back in, but it's simply not going to happen. You've got Shinney that can play there. You've got Mark Reynolds. Obviously, he's out at the moment, but he can play there. Did very well against Tibbs at the end of last season when playing there. Tommy Oban played left back against Burnley at home. Did fine. Andy Considine, who can play there, right back cover. You know, uh, Catherine Chalmers asked about current squad overall assessment. Well, right back cover, I'm not convinced we've got... I mean, obviously Dominic Ball again has done okay the last couple of games covering in there. So he can play there. Tommy Hoban again is, was maybe brought in to provide, to fill in at right back, but obviously got injured before he could do that. Um, so for me, that's maybe... But I again, I don't see that happening now. I don't see another defender coming in. Maybe a game changer at number 10. And that's where I think Ryan Christie maybe is now in his development against where Scott Wright could be in his development in a year or two's time. Or even, dare I say it, um, Ryan Gold. Well, um, that's that's a name we've not heard on this show in a while. <laughs> but yeah, not a, t- not a terrible option there. I mean, he's, he's obviously he's been very quiet over... Um, there's always been rumours there, and we know... The only reason I want that to happen is because uh, it would be quite nice to have a member of the first team squad follow us on Twitter. <laughs> Actually, Joe Lewis follows us on Twitter. I should. Uh, yeah, I'm getting this. Is, this is the humblest of humble brags, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, if you're listening, Joe, how you doing? <laughs> so we'll we'll move on to our next one here as well, which we have is uh, from Stuart McNay. 
which um, is one that's caused a great great source of irritation, I know, a lot of people lately. Um, do you think our current transfer system of yearly loans and short-term fixes should be stopped? Can I just go back to people who follow us on Twitter? The Scottish Tories <laughs> followed us this afternoon. What the fuck is happening there? Um, and, you blo- and you blocked them. Yeah. <laughs> I've yet to do that. I really should do that in it publicly, shouldn't I? That's what people do. Um, yeah. it, I can see why people get unhappy about short-term loans, and it's, it's really important to, to strike a balance throughout the squad. But I think the, the contrary argument to that is to, is to actually just take a look at the important members of our first-team squad young members as well, who are tied up for a reasonable amount of time. I mean, you've got Scott McKenna till summer 36-42 or whenever it is he's, he's contracted to. Lewis Ferguson, and this wasn't wi- widely publicised, but Lewis Ferguson is on a four-year deal until summer 2022, which is looking like very astute business, obviously. Until 2021, you've got Michael Devlin, who's at a good age, and he, he's been very solid the first few games. I still have that worry that he's just a bit too similar to McKenna, but Obviously, very early days. You've got Scott Wright as well, tied up to 2021. Chris Forrester's tied up to 2021. We'll, we'll talk about him in a few minutes. He's not had a great start to life to Pataudry, but we're still only in August, lest we forget. Then you've got Stevie May again at a good age. Now McGinn's maybe been given an extra year than he should have done. But again, that's six or seven members of the first team squad who have signed up for a really good length of time. And... Uh, you know, even guys like Joe Lewis have got two years left as things stand. So, again, I totally get why people get worked up about loans. And last year, maybe the balance was a bit too much. This year, you've got Don Ball, who at least has been with us for 12 months and knows what we're about. Tommy Hoban, who's come in from a Premier League team, looks a really solid addition. And you've got James Wilson, a guy that we would just have no chance of getting in on any other circumstance other than alone, at least until he's been to at least two or three championship and League One teams and it is totally on the drift down. This year, there's only really been Thomas Cherney, who's come in for, for a one-year deal. And he's obviously in just to cover that sub-keeper position while Danny Rogers inexplicably doesn't get a game at St Mirren. It's hard. In an ideal world, you'd have guys like Graham Shinney and Guy McHale-Steven tied up until 2021-2022 as well. But this is an imperfect world. So I, I think we've actually done, at this point in time, quite a good job of tying some of the younger, more important first-team players to longer-term contracts. And it's night and day, again, from, from the sort of operation we were as a club a few years ago. Eternally just being able to sign guys on one-year, two-year deals. Exciting young talent like Ryan Fraser, like um, Fraser Fivey was exciting at the time. Let's forget about where he's ended up, but Fraser Fivey was an exciting talent. Jack Grummer going before he's, he's done four first-team games. It's night and day from that situation. and I think, the, I think the accusation of there being short-term fixes is a little bit off the mark this season in particular. I think that, that is something we're moving away from. Do you think there's a benefit in taking them in then? They're like not necessarily Hoban and Wilson, but you get get these guys in on a one year loan. You can get a look at them, and then dis- no, then you can decide after at the year. You know, this guy's pretty pretty handy. We can maybe bring him in. I mean, I think it goes without saying that Aberdeen probably can't and probably won't ever spend money like we did. You know, in the nineties. I mean, I don't think I'll ever I'll ever see Aberdeen spend a million pounds on a player, for example. No, not again. Anyway, it's not. It's not going to happen. It's absolutely not going to happen. Those speculative accumulate days are, are, are gone. And 
again, that is something I, I think we'll touch on later on. Um, but John Ball situation again. He's out of contract at the end of the season, so it could be it could and as is Tommy Hoban and both of those. I have no idea what Tommy Hoban's wage situation, but the fact he is a Premiership player means he's probably automatically on about thirty k. That's how it seems to work down there. Um, so. You know, we probably have no chance of getting Tommy Hoban, but Dominic Ball might be a realistic target at the end of the season. He's still much younger than you, you think he is, 23-24. I know that just five minutes ago I was calling Dominic Ball squad filler, but if he's um, if he's our own player, it becomes much more palatable than if he's here on loan. We have another one as well. Let's uh, Well, we mentioned Chris Forrester earlier on, so here we go. We've got one from Graham Hurd. Richard, is Chris Forrester a 2-0 player? <laughs> Um, I, I suspect that phrase has been used because we applied it to Kenny McLean for a very long period of time. Um, at this point in time, I'm, I'm not sure what sort of player Chris Forrester is. There's one thing, not starting brilliantly at a club, but the application maybe hasn't been there, and it maybe hasn't been there in training because you see, obviously, Frank Ross getting the start when Nam again pulled out on Saturday. I think the biggest disappointment was maybe when he came on, um, he replaced Scott McKenna when he went off injured against the Rangers a couple of weeks ago, and he was he was really slow, really lethargic, not great in the ball, wasn't making anything happen, and clearly he was the man being looked to, to make things happen. You know, Lewis Ferguson's already uh, superseded him in terms of the competition for first-team place. Here's Scott Wright maybe going ahead of him uh, as well for that number 10 role. Um, he's already just a couple of weeks into uh, the season got got some catching up to do in terms of the squad but we're absolutely not ruling him out I mean we've seen maybe 120 minutes of him in an Aberdeen shirt and throughout the pre-season games uh, he was seemingly one of our best performers so so certainly we, we hope that he comes good and again he's a guy in a decent length of deal at a decent age and um you hope that everybody in the squad has has a role to play, but right now it's difficult to it's difficult to work out exactly what uh, type of player Chris Forrester is, whether he is indeed a, a two 0 player or or whether he is somebody that will actually take responsibility and and start to make things happen uh, throughout the game. Uh, another of the imports from down south. Uh, this one came last January, but Sam Cosgrove. Um, how important will Sam Cosgrove be this season in big games, asks Grant Hurd. Now, um, I think we'll see it quite a lot, unfortunately, in a way, Martin, because it indicates a, a sort of style of play that we'll, that we'll adopt. But I think we will see Sam play the striker role quite, quite often this year, won't we? It depends all on James Wilson, really, um, and how he, how he performs and what we can get out of him. But uh, certainly in away games... Um, I fear, because, just because I mean I'm not I don't really like seeing you know a lo- the lone striker, especially what appears to be the big man up front. You know, um, I fear that we will probably line up like that away at Parkhead, um, away at Ibrox. Um, surely no, surely nowhere else I would imagine. Um, despite the fact that you know that some of those some of the other teams have got you no know, decent def- decent defenses and decent defensive records. Um, so I think you'll probably. Important. Um, you'll, you'll certainly play in those, play in some of those big games, um, and we'll certainly see him start. Um, it just it, it does really depend all on you know if James Wilson when he gets some game time, if he hits the ground running or not. If the guy if the guy's going to be permanently carrying knocks, then um, that's not going to be that's not going to be great for any of us. And I think we'll see Cosgrove probably quite a lot. He'll definitely. I mean, I would 
I'm not well, I'm not really that much of a betting man, but I'm willing to probably wager you'll start at least the games away at Parkhead and Ibrox definitely. Um, we have oh, another one here from Brian, at, who aka at X Rated Hamster. Um, probably the first time we've had like a Freddy Star reference on this podcast. Um, the Ferguson situation resolved. If there's money available, who to bring in, who to sign, whose contract to renew? Well, I think I've really had my say on this, Martin. I think you, you should have a shout. I, I would absolutely... I mean, it's not thinking outside the box here, far from it. And um, I'm sure Dirk McInnes, as he quite frequently does, has a couple of names up his sleeve that have been nowhere near the press. Uh, but I'd, I would have no objections to if we can get Ryan Christie for a reasonable amount of money. I think that would be someone who could make a difference in the SPFL and someone who could provide value to us down the line in terms of transfer fees. Um, equally, how realistic this is, I have absolutely no idea, but Ryan Gold, again, is a very good age and is clearly a tremendous talent. And I think a game-changer at number 10 is is what every team needs if they're going to kind of unlock stuffy defences and just provide that bit of magic to, to win you tight games. Um, elsewhere, I, you know, I don't think we're in... Horrendous shape. I think we've probably got a first team squad now of about 22. That obviously includes quite a few youngsters who might find their game time limited, depending on the form of some of the um, some of the key players. It's got a younger feel to it than the last couple of years, but um, but yeah, that, that's who I'd who I'd look to bring in. Someone someone definitely to to provide that bit of something special but it's very difficult to do when you're talking about maybe quarter of a million pounds that we've got to spend tops who to sign whose contract to renew is, is Brian's other point well I, I mean the obvious ones are, are Shinny and Mackay yeah. Stephen Frank Ross of the ones out of uh, contract at the end of the season I, I think you can wait until December to decide on Andy Considine whether he deserves another year or two but I think at this point in time it would look like he would Frank Ross maybe still has a little bit to prove um and then you've got uh, the no-brainers, Guy McCarthy, Stephen and Graham Shinney. But, you know, if you had to ask me to, to guess right now, I'd, I'd say that they will both be off at the end of the year. I sincerely hope that that's not the case for either of them, but that would be if I had to, to make a call right now. What about yourself, Martin? I have to echo that, yeah. Shinny and Shinny and Mackay Stephen are obviously the, I mean, are the real priority. If we're going to, if, I mean, the offers have clearly been have been made to Shinny, um, that we've been told about, you know, McInnes, Quite, you know, quite out of character has came out and spoken about stuff like that. Um, he usually kind of, you know, keeps that kind of stuff kind of private within the club. Um, hopefully, that's just him sort of letting Shinny know how well he's thought of. Uh, but I'm, I fear, and I'm, I'm kind of like you in that one. I get, the, I, I'm, I've got a sinking feeling that he'll be, they'll be, they'll be off to England at the end of the. Shinny is the engine room of that side, um, and he is, you know, nobody is irreplaceable. Uh, but you know, there's a there's a lot of work to be done there if you're going to try and replace someone like Shinny. Um, I have to agree with you. you know, a number a number ten, uh, so, someone who can create a bit of magic. I mean, you know, the games, you know, games like against the so-called lesser teams sometimes, you know, sometimes take care of themselves. And I think you look at the squad we have now, and there's probably enough there. It's the games against Hearts. It's the games against Hibs where you're looking for some you know, someone else with a just a bit of quality um, and. Yeah, you know, yeah. Christie could be that guy. Rotting Gold could be that guy. It's um, it's kind of hard to identify. 
Okay, move on to um, some topics more about the, the club in general. There's a few here about stadium, about the support. Some of these are absolute hospital passes, by the way, so thanks for those. Um, <laughs> first one comes from uh, Stan Freeman on Twitter. Uh, are the club right not to give supporters clubs an allocation for away games? Uh, well, in my opinion, they're wrong. They are completely in the wrong on this. Central Belt and Beyond supporters are one of the main reasons we have such a tremendous and uh, respected away support. That said, you can obviously understand what the club are trying to achieve by this. And some, some supporters clubs, I know from my own experience, a little more than cartels. You know, you'd get tickets for scarce game. You get scarce tickets for games if you were mates with a convener. There has to be a balance struck, and I don't think we've achieved that yet in terms of um, tickets through loyalty points versus tickets through supporters clubs. And I think that uh, idea about achieving the right balance also applies when it comes down to the actual award of loyalty points and the whole our DNA business. Yeah, you're you're 100 right. I mean, the club, the club need to come up with something. It's not going to happen this season. No, it, it does seem over the past couple of years and. Some people have said that it's like, well, no, the, the games are more in demand because we're better now. You know, when when we were rubbish, you know, under Steve Patterson or whoever, you know, it was easy to get tickets for games and things like that. And supporters clubs could could say, I'll take, I don't know, what does a coach hold? 50 seats. A supporters club could ask for 50 tickets and get them, no problem. It's just not going to work like that now, unfortunately. Supporters clubs, they're, they're, they, should prob- they should be given some sort of allocation, but they want names, they want... Uh, Registration numbers, you know, they want all your details. Unfortunately, that's just the way, you know, not to sound like too much of an Almani, but that's unfortunately just the way football's going now. And um, I don't think the club are right, but uh, once the, until the club can come up with something a little bit better in terms of how loyalty points are divvied up and things like that, then um, I don't see it changing in any kind of way. Um, next one is, yeah, another one, another. Another good one here uh, from Ross, aka Duck Duck Goose. Uh, Richard, do you believe there is a great disparity in what the board wants us to achieve and what the fans want to want us to achieve? Well, listen, fans are always going to shoot for the moon, and they're absolutely right to do so. Um, I, I think the board absolutely wants success, wants success as much as you you or I do, but they're not going to return to the speculate to accumulate era to to try and make it happen because there are absolutely no guarantees that increasing the budget even to astronomical levels would bring that sort of success. I think there's always going to be things which you or I would do differently from those who are currently sat in the boardroom. They're going to have a different way of looking at it because partly because they have to think longer term about the future of the club. And I think we've been through a period in Scottish football which has been tumultuous, which we've seen, we've lost a few clubs, a few clubs have gone to administration um, and come out the other side. The conversation that we just had about Scott McKenna, that would be unthinkable about four or five years ago, simply because of the financial situation of the club. And part of that's down to good fortune, absolutely, and again we'll come to that later, but partly that is to achieving results off the pitch that mirror what we've done on the pitch. I mean, I think the turnover has doubled in the last five years in the, in the time period that Derek McInnes has been here, which hasn't just happened through increased crowds, which obviously have gone up, but it's happened because we've extracted more of every aspect of the club's business. 
naively maybe believe that yes the club's board and everyone associated with the club absolutely wants success and doesn't think that it's second is success I think they think it's an achievement I think a lot of fans don't think it's an achievement or something to be celebrated they could well be right on that score but I think when you're dealing with such a monster a sort of monstrous entity like you've got with Celtic against the other sides in the league I think there has to be a, a touch of realism applied and it's not always easy for supporters to do that because yeah as I started this answer about 10 minutes ago saying it supporters are always going to shoot for the moon I suppose it kind of comes down to just to, to ask you a, a next question that do you look at that to use a kind of another example a few years ago under Arsene Wenger Arsenal were always seen as they settled for the fourth place trophy and we all joked about it and had a laugh but it was sort of their board scene that saw that as like you say an achievement no, Celtic are going to be very very hard for us to catch so are we asking for too much to, to say we, we should get more than second now I, I don't believe, believe we're asking for too much but I just wanted to see what you thought Richard we should we should expect a board that that has ambitions absolutely, and I think those ambitions should stretch beyond just the the footballing side. The great things about that early eighties period was that it wasn't just ambition on the pitch, which Alex Ferguson was realizing. You had Chris Anderson showing great ambition off the pitch as well in terms of our stadium. Now we're entering a period where we're looking to build a new stadium. And for a lot of people, that is very ambitious. And certainly the numbers and the money is being talked about is very ambitious, especially when absolutely no none of the funding for the uh, the stadium for the phase two of the, the building project for the actual stadium has been has been announced as being in place yet. So it, it's definitely ambitious on that score. Celtic are the target. We've got to aim for that target. We've got to try and get closer to them. We've got to try and get more points on the board each season. We've achieved, what, 75, 76? I think at our current budget, the absolute maximum we could probably achieve is 85, 86, which might just be enough if everything falls for you to win the league. And it doesn't seem as if it's a million miles off. You know, it's it's been tantalisingly close, nearly winning the Scottish Cup, nearly taking the title to the wire, nearly getting to the group stages... And that's what's made it really frustrating. That There's been very little tangible achievement other than that one League Cup. I mean, I think we've both agreed that like a Scottish Cup win could be absolutely transformative for this club. And of course the board of directors want that. Of course they want to see the extra two, 3,000 season tickets they might sell on the back of that. That feel good that it would be around the whole city to do that. But yeah, and it's a topic we've discussed time after time. Celtic making the Champions League, even... Three or four seasons out of ten makes it very hard for the rest of the league. And and that's where we are right now. That's before you talk about the inbuilt advantages of bigger attendances and so on. But you see it in plenty of other leagues as well. They're being dominated by one side. And that one side doesn't necessarily have the attendance advantage that, that Celtic have. But they've got the Champions League money advantage. But that answer covered new grounds. And there was a couple of questions on that firstly Jeremy Wood asks why is there no covered training pitch in the Kingsford plans this seems to be a big mistake in our climate 100% agree with that it seems weird that this this whole thing is no we're in the northeast of Scotland it's it's freezing you know despite the fact we've had a nice summer 
it's freezing pretty much almost all the time. There's there's been no kind of reason given for it. Um, someone did suggest to me when we were talking about it, perhaps the club felt that building what is what would amount to basically a giant shed would weaken the planning application. Um, I mean, I don't know. I no, I, I don't know absolutely nothing about you know planning applications and all these kind of rules and regulations. So that may be something I don't know, but. You know, if you're if you're not going to have a covered training pitch, have have some sort of roof on the stadium so you can have covered facilities, you know, at your beck and call. It does seem, you know, a very a very a, a very like you know narrow view. Yeah, it, it's remarkable. It seems remarkably short sighted. And the worry, of course, is that um, you can only assume it comes down to cost reasons, and you hope that this is not going to be indicative indicative of corners cut throughout the project. Um, but it's not a brilliant start. And, you know, the one aspect which I think people are universally pleased about of the Kingsford plans are the fact that we're going to have finally have training facilities. Now, a question on that comes from Ross Highland, who asks how much of a difference will it make having those full training facilities? Well, it's not going to be a golden bullet. Uh, I mean, I think anyone over 45 will point out that Fergie's side won all those trophies and often trained on the beach. However... For a club that used to be cutting edge when it came to facilities in Scotland, it is. It's been an embarrassment how long we've gone without dedicated facilities. And not to mention the fact that our stadium has been allowed to fall into disrepair. But that's a whole other discussion. Um, but, but Martin, it is. It's impossible to quantify, isn't it? Just what sort of difference it would make. But it's it plugs that gap, if nothing else. It does. I mean, you'll, you can you can never say. Um, the one thing that you have is you, the the advantage you get is that we have in your own place where you know it can be open whenever you want. Is that you know the old the old story of you hear about top players who you know they stay back, they do more training. You know they they make you know whether whether it's someone like Ronaldo or Scholes or Beckham or all these people you hear about where they basically they make the. You no, know, they make the reserve team goalkeeper stay back so they can, you know, ping shots at them from fifty yards and all this kind of stuff. Um, we can't do that because the next lot have got the sports village booked, or you know, it's you know Seaton Park or it's Balgowney or it's all these places where you know they're having to pick up, you know, pick up dog shite and stuff like that. Um, so having your own places, your beck and call, you know, isn't the be all and end all, but it certainly helps. It gets there, it gets us, you know, a little bit closer. To these other teams that have got their own facilities, and it's 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 embarrassing, and you know, not to, not to kind of go all kind of Craig Brown on you, but you know, you know, all these other clubs have got their facilities. While you know, have it, he, while he was manager, he had to send you know Neil, you know Neil Cooper out looking for somewhere for the club to train. That's embarrassing seeing that when you know Dundee United have somewhere where they can go and train, and we don't. It's you know, it's it's humiliating. This is going to be a controversial one. This is a three-part question for you, Richard. So we have: What is your opinion on that song? Your opinion on it being sung at games not against them, which I presume will obviously will mean not at games against Rangers, which gives away what that song is. And the final one, which is the the $64,000 question, uh, which is why can't our support all be pals? Oh, Christ. Okay, watch me watch me get um, infuriate both sides uh, of our rather polarised support right now. Um, Songs, singing songs at the football. I don't really have a huge issue with it, to be perfectly honest. Even with the more objectionable Celtic, the Rangers ones. Uh, the the Duat song is at least vaguely football relevant, unlike, say, the Jimmy Savile or the ridiculous Yamaza mattress nonsense of a decade ago. <laughs> uh, both of those got under my skin way more than the Ian Duat song ever could. But it is an odd situation now. 
with a lot of people who spend or have spent in the past an awful lot of time and money following a Dons, feeling a, a real disconnect with the whole club right now. And, and that doesn't stem from songs and it doesn't stem, fr- stem from people not standing up when we take a penalty kick. It, it stems from divisive issues like the stadium. And given that there's not likely to be a change of course in the club on some of the more divisive issues like the stadium, I'm not sure how we go about solving that. So, so yeah, the, the sort of antagonism song manifests is really, I think, signs of a, a deeper malaise. You're not going to add anything on that whatsoever. You're going to remain out to this conversation. Just allow me oh. to of like, oh, very good, very no, good. No. I see what it's like. I have, I'm like, I have absolutely no problem with that to song. And um, look, things get sung at the football. If if fans of those two clubs in Glasgow can pretend that when they go to games uh, and what they sing at games is something that only happens at football and they're only ninety minute bigots, then you know what? I hear that song at the football. I don't really care. No, it's something that happened. It's a thing. Um, I don't mind it. You know, I'm a I'm I'm a, I'm a bit older than I was before. I've not sung it in a long time. Could I, can I deny having sung it in the past? Absolutely not. Um, the the whole thing about it you know, being sung at, sung at games not against not against Rangers. There was a there was a thing, and I don't think it was a massive thing. Some of the more some of the some of the guys that you know, like to stand up, like to try and create a bit of atmosphere. Are a little bit pissed off at being told to, you no, know, basically being told by other supporters to sit down. Um, that, and you're right, that comes from the whole stadium thing. Um, the if the only way that's going to be solved is either when we move to a new stadium, and sections are set aside for safe standing, where people who want to go along, stand up, sing at the game, jump about, have a good time, wave flags, whatever you want to do, they'll have somewhere to go. People that just want to sit down and watch a game can sit down and watch a game. And people that want to go with their kids and do whatever they want to do can sit in another part of the stadium. At the moment, the club haven't really helped with any of that. You know, they kind of gave gave them a singing section that was in the in the family stand it was never going to work. You've now got the guys who were the, the guys who sat in that section have now gone back to where their own areas are, whether it be at the fence, whether it be in the Y, whether it be in the Dick Donald. Um, we're never all going to get along. The day after. May eleventh, nineteen eighty-three. People were still arguing in the pub, in the pub, um, saying that you know John Hewitt's usually is shite just because he scored a winning goal or something like that. They, they were never all going to get along because everybody disagrees. That's the nature of football. Once the new stadium comes, I think I really hope it changes and the club embrace. You know the guys that want to have flags and all this kind of stuff. Much like you know, as much as I I really do not like the Green Brigade, um, they add something to Celtic games in terms of with the colour. Some of the banners are a bit cringeworthy, but at least they do something. And I'd like to think that, you know, the guys behind the display team, once we get the new stadium going and we get a standing section, hopefully, then that'll change. Um, that remains to be seen because it needs the club need to get behind it. And if I'm being honest, I don't really see that happening. OK, um, Bruce McDonald, sorry, Bruce S. McDonald. The S is clearly very important. Um, what more does the club do need to do to fill the stadium week in week out Martin I think we've seen that lower prices won't really work that um, attendance at Aberdeen Games isn't really price elastic do we just accept that this is our crowd it's kind of always been around this level um, I, I kind of think you have to I mean it goes back to what I was just saying there you know you make it if you can make it the, you know, the whole It's people talk about the match day experience now you know and that that comes from 
no, on the way to the game, outside the stadium, when you come into the stadium, no, feeling welcome, whether it's not just, no, we... We were we joked about it, you know, when we first started doing this podcast, when we started, you know, started being making jokes about the pies and things like that. It's everything around the, everything around the stadium needs to be that you know people are going to come along and want to have a good time, um, and then you know there's because the, the, the product on the pitch is pretty decent at the moment. You know, we're winning games. There needs to be there needs to be more. It needs to be kind of a welcoming place for fans to, to want to go. Um, Unfortunately, no. It's not like it used to be with terraces, and you would have to be able to laugh and go about wherever you want. We need to try, and the club need to kind of find what that is. Um, prices coming down isn't. I don't think would really help. I was going to bring that up actually with relation to to the last question about how you know you're you're, you're in all seat a stadium now, and before if you didn't like what someone was saying, you could just head off to the other part of the terrace, and yeah. and they'd be miles away. But now if you're getting annoyed by that or you're one of the guys doing the singing and you're annoyed because people aren't standing up and, and chanting and singing when you want them to. I think I've said on here many, many times in my season ticket uh, seat, uh, we used to have guys behind us who would um, who would absolutely infuriate us over the course of the season. And I, actually, I wasn't the one in our row to break. It wasn't even one of our, our group that broke because of the guys behind us, but that's <laughs> another story. Uh, so we've moved this year and worryingly we can't identify the wankers so therefore it must be us that's the rule isn't it Martin if, if you can't identify someone around you who's a twat it's you so that's a bit worrying but that's that's by the by yeah I, I think that plays a part too that that whole culture of you know this is your seat you will sit in it as well it means you're you're forcing two conflicting elements together again they, they've done a they've done a good job at squeezing more money out of the existing fan base but it does seem as if they kind of have decided that that's the route they'll go down and they've almost given up in a way trying to actually build the the regular support don't you think you know the club. I mean, the community trust are doing decent work, and they're going out and they give out. You know, they, I know they give out you know free tickets to some school kids and all that stuff, and they try to get to get kids to come. And it's it's probably difficult, but now's now's the, the club will probably never have a better time now than now to recruit kind of young fans when things are good and things are decent, and you've got you've got guys like Mackay Stephen who can do tricks and can pass people. This is a time when you know you need to get young fans into the stadium. And while I say that you know lowering prices. Isn't probably the solution. No, I'd like to see. I'd like to see things where, you know, I hate. I hate seeing, for example, I hate seeing the Merkelin stand empty. The prices for kids should come down, and that should be full of kids every week. There's going to come a time when most of the guys who have seen, you know, the teams of the seventies and eighties aren't 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 around. And where does that next generation come from? Are most of them are probably sitting at home, waiting for the five o'clock English Premier League game, and that's quite sad. Yeah, and again, that's a societal challenge that. Um that a lot of um, clubs throughout the world will have to deal with. Although I think maybe we can benefit in some small way from that. And it, it kind of shows itself in, you know, when you see groups of kids um, doing a football training at school. Or, and um, it used to be 15, 20 years ago that there'd be a, a fair smattering of Celtic and Rangers tops back then because uh, the glory hunting wee shits we'd, uh, we'd want to go for them. <laughs> But now those self-same glory-hunting wee shits are in Barcelona and Man City tops. So there's a possibility of still hooking them to the live football experience in that case, rather than completely losing them as you would um, with a Celtic and Rangers tops. So we digress somewhat there. I think I think they can do more. Lower prices is going to be part of it, but that has been shown not to really work 
but yeah, there, there are a whole whole range of things that could be done right now, and maybe they aren't being done because the the club are kind of holding off until this magic bullet of the of the new stadium. We have, as ever, gone on way longer than we needed to. Uh, th- this will be the kind of last big um, divisive question, um, and you can have it, Martin. Um, why do you think Stuart Milne gets such an easy ride from fans when the club was only saved by financial ruin by outside investment? And should we really be trusting a guy that got us into this position to deliver us a stadium? And that's from Craig Denham. The people I talk to, he doesn't get an easy ride from. Um, I understand that he does get an easy ride from some sections, and that's you know there are some people who would say that had he walked away, we could we would be you know we would have been in the state Hearts found themselves in, or we could be in the state Dundee United are currently finding themselves in. There is an element of truth to that, um, and yeah, we were. It's right to say we were saved from financial ruin by the Donald family sticking in that cash, and you know, we ended up debt free. The black and white uh, numbers in the, in the accounts, he has. And I am very loath to stick up for him, but he has invested a considerable amount of money into the club throughout the years. And it, it's oh. more, it's, tw- it's more than twice as much as the Donalds did. But obviously he was at the helm through a lot of the periods of waste and stagnation. So he absolutely deserves the criticism for that. And I, of course but, he does. But I agree with you. I don't, I don't think he has had an easy ride, really, by any stretch of imagination. I mean, this was the guy who was getting police escorts out the ground as far back as 1999. It was only half joking, but there were a lot of people when they turned up to the cricket club, club in Burnley were hustling. White. The, the, the shout was, "Him and Milne, why aren't you putting your hand in your fucking pocket?" Cormac was getting that as well. No, and I know it's only joking for most people. Well, with an with an element of truth, he does get a hard time, um, and he deservedly does get a hard time. I think the other part of the question, obviously, was that should we be trusting a guy that got us into that position to deliver us a stadium. Um, that's the that's the bigger worry for me. We've got to find this this pot of money. Um, obviously, the, the land that Pataudry's on is going to be worth some, but there's going to be a huge gap there. People are quite right to be sceptical. And I'm, I'm, I'm much more concerned that this guy's going to be delivering a stadium for us. I mean, I don't know about you, Richard, but that's, that's, that is a, a genuine worry that we've got this... No, this white elephant that we might have that you know we can't pay for and suddenly we find ourselves back down in ninth or tenth in the league well i mean as for the same it's it's not just Stuart mill that we need to be holding to account we 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 need to try and hold the club's feet to the fire at every stage of the stadium process to get um the best facility we can for not just the club but for the, the support as well and i think part of the worry as well is that right now it's yet I'm yet to be really sold on what the best vehicle and best way to do that would be. You know, would it be many different people um, raising their points of view and putting them to the club? Is it through Don supporters together? Uh, the club have obviously bypassed is a strong word in this scenario, but the club has definitely muddied the waters with this new supporters forum that they're looking to introduce. However, people um, raise their concerns that they're right to push for. If we're going ahead with this project, the club show that it can be funded without harming the first team budget, that the club demonstrate that they're willing to listen to the supporters' concerns with regard to the setup of the stadium, with regard to things like safe standing, with regards to the uh, area of the stadium that uh, the away support will house, fan zones, all that sort of stuff. And, and again, don't just go for the lowest co- cost option at every opportunity. And it's critical if, if this thing is going to go ahead and 
I've got my dates. I've got absolutely got my dates that they will find find the money in. There was some fag packet calculations, frankly, buried deep within some of the submissions to the uh, planning committee. Now, absolutely, the planning committee is not where you flesh out your finances. It's not for that. But it does make me a bit concerned that we've got a headline, 43 million, and it's going to come from, you know, and all they've got there is going to come from sale of the ground, sponsorship opportunities, you know, all the things you'd expect them to say, but it, it's not fleshed out. We're going to we're going to end up having to buy a lot of, doing that whole, buying a lot of bricks, aren't we, Richard? <laughs> uh, do you know any bricklayers? Contact AFC at Petaudry. Uh, one thing I just would like want to add to that as well is that both of us here t- we don't t- take pride in, we don't tell people how to support the club, but the one thing with the stadium I think that we should all do is that whether it is Don supporters together or whether it is, when this comes round, and you're right, we need to hold the club's feet to the fire, whether it comes from having to write letters, having to go no, having to go to any of the open meetings, anything like that, we all need to we all need to show up and go to these things. Yeah, you know what the the main issue is with the opposition to the stadium move. Obviously, you've got the you've got the, the actual West Hill group, and they they are not doing it out of any interest for the club. But there's a lot of people who are opposed to this move for a lot of reasons, and I wouldn't say that I'm in, that I'm in favour of it. It looks like we've been backed into a corner. We should have organised. There should have been organisation behind those Don supporters who had real doubts about this move, and wanted to see properly examine, properly explore what was potentially still open to us to do at Petaudry, how much that would cost, getting in touch with, you know, getting in touch with the local councillors, seeing what might or might not be possible with moving Petaudry Street, speaking to architects, finding out what might be possible to bridge Petaudry Street, all that sort of stuff. The only organised group were the, the West Hill group. And what we've ended up with is just people bickering on Twitter instead. So when it comes to this move, if it goes ahead, it's important that people channel their frustrations and channel their hopes and dreams for the stadium in a constructive manner because that that really hasn't happened with a lot of the process so far. Totally agree. We've got a few a few lighter ones to finish off with now. Um, who all came, these all came from uh, Alexander Wilson. So Richard, uh, your first game at Petodri, memories of this. Uh, safe, comforting nostalgia. This is the sort <laughs> of thing we this is the sort of thing we like, Martin. But then yeah. these, um, yeah. Yeah, the, the fuckers earlier on with all those um, hard questions. First game at Petodre was 35 years ago this week. It was Aberdeen 3, Dundee 0, the start of season 83-84. Um, first Aberdeen game I'd ever been to, um, I certainly remember going to, was the Scottish Cup final the, the year before. The 1-0 win, uh, 10 days after Gothenburg. And I'd obviously been interested in football at some point before then because I was uh, I certainly had the Dons kit by the time of Gothenburg because I got to stay up that night uh, and, and sleep watch the game obviously and then sleep in my Dons kit that evening um, so start of season 83-84 what I remember I remember probably uh, and this might be just a, a composite memory of that first couple of seasons being taken at the game by my old man about uh, midday him going to the Red Lion pub and then the uh, the golf club beforehand and me sitting outside probably with a can of Coke and a packet of crisps before I was uh, taken across to the stadium at the quarters of three. That first season does, a, in a way, I was only seven or eight, it kind of blends into one in a way. Uh, it was it was always a real shock when we didn't win. Uh, I think there were probably tears the first time I saw us lose. So yeah, 35 years this, this week that I've been going along and uh, investing... My time and emotions in this um, this football club. I think we've. I think I've told kind of my one before. I'm not 100 percent sure 
what the with the first game at Pitodry was. I know I was I went along to a few games. Um, I used to go along with Monkle. Monkle used to be a regular in the Portland club. And when we're talking about kind of you know points and all this kind of stuff, there was there used to always be tickets going about. No, you could always get a ticket for the Dons. It just seemed to be a thing where somebody knew somebody that had a ticket and you could get in. Um, and I used to go along with my uncle or some of his pals. Um, the one that I, the one that I do like really, really remember is probably and it wasn't the first time I was there, but the one that obviously sticks out in my mind is um, Charlie Nicholas's home debut, which I've told before. I went along with my auntie for no other reason than she took me along because she fancied him, um, and that's that's the kind of. The, the 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 main fucking first time that I really remember being at Pitodry sitting sitting the Y um, before it was ever really a thing it was just you kind of you sat where you, well, you used to sit a lot of people used to sit where you wanted imagine that um, that's my kind of first one to remember and it being you know I fell in love with the place apart bar one or two seasons I've never really sat anywhere else other than the South Stand and I, I imagine I'll sit in the South Stand until the day that the South Stand is no more. Um, so can you condense that uh, 30 years into to one favoured moment? Um, oh, wow. The one of the, re- the really bad season, what was that? Um, the season would beat the season would beat Rangers with a Stephen Glass header. What was that, 95, 96 or 96, 97? Whichever that one was. That was a nightmare season. It's got some of my favourite moments as well because it's sort of, Ian Jess was back um, with some, some good players. Um, my cult hero Tony Kumbari, which is um, which is Alex's next question, which is your favourite player. Um, I'm going to pick, obviously, I'm going to pick a daft one. I'm going to pick my pal Tony um, for reasons that I've said before. He was lovely when I met him, possibly the nicest man in the world. There was a there was a Rangers game where he absolutely absolutely skinned Brian Loudrup, um, sent him for a pie, um, and I just absolutely love that guy. Um, favorite, if you're like a, p- p- picking up a, a specific moment, um, I still probably would have to say the Copenhagen game. Um, I don't think we expected to do what we did that night. Um, it goes to show that going back to what we mentioned earlier, if you give people something to go see, people will come along. And yeah, the, the Vuvuzelas or whatever they were were a pain in the arse and they were a bit noisy, but there was atmosphere, there was noise in the ground. Um, it's you no. Know, it was a, a Pitodri night, unlike any I've seen. You know, I'm not old enough to have been at the Bayern Munich game, so you know, I don't know what that was like. I can only listen to guys who come on the podcast, or you know, will tell us about it. Um, I think Copenhagen was a really special moment for us. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. That I think has been more than long enough, and you don't want really to hear any more of our tedious old manny reminiscences <laughs> about the past. I think one thing about the past is that it's always sugar-coated. People will tell young supporters, that, oh, it's so much better in my day. You know what? It often wasn't. Most of the games were probably conducted in much of the same sort of semi-silence that most of the games these days are. <laughs> Things don't really change that much. And um, with that... We will end this week's show. Thank you for all your contributions. It's really valued. It keeps us entertained during the week at work. Generally speaking, if we don't reply to you on Twitter, it gen- your your point of view does very frequently find a way through into this podcast one way or another, whether it be us uh, stealing your opinion because it's quite smart or mocking it wrongly without actually mentioning your name because we're cowards. Anyway, uh, from myself and from Martin, thanks for listening. We'll be back hopefully next week who knows Uh, and come on you Reds at Easter Road on Saturday